0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Um, we got a great show for you today. Um, we've got Stephen Godfrey from SB Nation joining us. Um, looking forward to this interview with him. Um, very good stuff. Before we get into that, I wanted to tell you guys about our first podcast sponsor, SeatGeek. Whether you're looking to buy tickets to a game or a music show, or even sell tickets that you can't use, you should check out SeatGeek. Uh, it's the smartest way to buy and sell tickets online. They're a little bit like shopping for travel on Kayak.com. Um, they find the best seats and prices on sporting events. And concert tickets across a number of other outlets uh, so you know you're getting the best deal shopping just in one place. Um, and as a listener of the podcast you can try SeatGeek now and earn a $20 rebate on your first purchase. Um, it's not going to cover the cost of an Orange Bowl ticket necessarily um, but that should at least buy you your first cocktail down on South Beach um, or cover that $20 bet the Sooner fans sitting next to you. Um, they've got tickets to Clemson basketball games up at the Well in Greenville. Uh, a bunch of tempting concerts um, at venues across the nation, and NBA tickets that are really the best prices you're going to find online. Uh, so to get your rebate, make sure you download the free SeatGeek app on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Enter the code Podcast. That's just one word. Um, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you make your first ticket purchase. Once again, download the free SeatGeek app. Enter code, promo code Podcast today. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. Unbelievable! Cool! Ice water in its veins! I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina. All right, guys. Welcome to the Clemson podcast. Uh, we're joined today by Stephen Godfrey, senior reporter at SB Nation. Um, Stephen's also the co-host of podcast "Ain't Played Nobody," uh, great podcast. He he does that alongside statistical mastermind Bill Connolly, and um, you guys should all subscribe to that one on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also find Stephen; um, he's on Twitter at thirty eight Godfrey as well. So give him a follow. Definitely, definitely worthwhile. So Stephen, welcome. Um, how you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Definitely. Uh, we ran into one other, one another tailgating before the Notre Dame game um, during Hurricane Joaquin and just wanted to ask, like, how's your game day experience that day? And have your <laughs> shoes dried out yet? Um, no, it, it sucked. Uh,
1: and, and I love, I do love Clemson and, uh, and really hated, and I think everyone that was involved that day hated the fact that such a, like, big um electric atmosphere was was not ruined because it still i thought they were successful but it was it was dampened pardon the pun cuz it <laughs> rained um for if anyone's listening that wasn't there it didn't really rain hard it just rained all yeah. day long about I, the time that corso put his headgear on it started raining and it never stopped i i equated it to watching a football game standing in a shower yeah Yeah, steady going shower. I mean, it it was never like this crazy thunderstorm type atmosphere. It was just like soaking wet forever. Yep. Um, It was pretty miserable in that regard. Um, I went through a pair of shoes that I just deemed um, beyond the point of salvation. And so uh, that was it, though. It's all probably one of the five most important college football games of the year.
0: Yeah. And we, you know, we haven't stopped hearing about how Notre Dame played it close, how it was, you know, them against the monsoon. Um, but yeah I, I would agree i mean just from from how everything played out down the stretch I'm sure they would have liked to have that win and us us holding them on that last two point conversion attempt definitely vaulted us to where we where we are today so um, glad i glad I picked that one to attend rain notwithstanding
1: um it was a it, it's a game that's just it's not really fairly or unfairly. It's just, it, it is going to get a ton of attention in retrospect and hindsight. Um, and I know Notre Dame apologists and Clemson apologists want to try and, you know, move, move the the narrative around or whatever. But um, I don't think the game ends well for Clemson if it's not raining, but I also don't feel like the game, um, you know, I, I don't feel like Notre Dame would have, uh, I think Notre Dame was just as equally affected. I I was really shocked by their play calling and how conservative they wanted to approach things, especially on defense because of, I don't know if it was so much Clemson or the weather or both, but um, this whole thing where the Irish thinks, well, if it wasn't raining, we would have hung on and won that game for some reason. I get that, but like they put themselves in that situation and, and ultimately that's, that's, you know, to their detriment. And it's not like Clemson deserves to have an asterisk because it
0: was raining. That's, kind of stupid. Right. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, the Clemson apologists or the Clemson fan will tell you our offensive play calling changed down the stretch with that game, so yeah. on a dry field, who knows, but um, anyway, I think you know, if that had gone to overtime, I, I don't know if Clemson would have been able to hang on, and you know, Notre Dame seemed to have all the momentum at that point, but they did not, and we came away with that win. Um, uh,
1: yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a game that... Um, I think a lot of people, Florida State notwithstanding because it's the conference and, and it was a hurdle for Dabo and, and all that kind of stuff. I feel like Notre Dame was very much the announcement game for Clemson this year. And the way that they stacked up against the talent that Notre Dame had, I think the way the defense looked for most of that game after, uh, you know, national guys like us, we do rely on some sometimes shoddy narratives or, or kind of quick, um, you know, bottled up ideas of schools because we're looking at so many schools. Yep. I think a lot of us were really surprised when we got there to see that defense play so well after losing so much the, the year prior. I really, um, I didn't expect to see that.
0: Yeah, and I think for us, what what was most impressive in that game is, and we've seen it a couple other times play out. Um, you know, in the Florida State game, Brent Venables dialing up, like looking for an offense's key strength and trying to eliminate that, or you know, I've heard it said, make make a team play left handed. It right. seemed like we limited CJ Procise and sort of made Deshaun Kaiser beat us, and they seemed to figure some of that, you know, some of that out down the stretch. They came kind of roaring back in that game, but um, certainly against Florida State, you know, kind of limiting Dalvin Cook after that first, you know, explosive touchdown play, he was somewhat limited going forward. So no that's one something, wants,
1: to, yeah, no yeah. one wants to talk about um, Brent Venables and his effect on Clemson. The at least nationally, I'm sure locally they do, but right. Um, no one wants to talk about Venables with the same weight that they give um, Chad Morris, but I think they're, they're equally as important in how they've changed Clemson under Dabo. Venables was such a good hire. I mean, he was in a, it, just one of the best hires that, that could have been made. And it's um, regardless of what you think about the arms race and finances, right? It, it's, they got what they paid for because they could pay it because they were aggressive. Um, and then they, and then the, I think the most important thing was that they, they, they took their hands off and said, here, you yeah. know, we've recruited well, we have talent, we can recruit well in the future because of the, the
0: base that we're around, um, go do your thing. Yeah, and we've seen a number of, I mean, it's been kind of that time of year with coaching changes and regime changes, and we've got a lot of listeners based in the Southeast, and you, know, you brought, up, brought up Dabo and the Venables hire. You know, in the context of regime changes throughout the ACC you know, and SEC, Georgia, South Carolina, Miami, Um, You know, we've seen the Nick Saban disciple tree, the Pete Carroll tree, not really pan out for teams. And I mean, do you feel like programs out there should be looking at a Dabo Sweeney situation um, as a blueprint or as a template?
1: It's kind of funny because Venables came from Oklahoma where he was frustrated, but no one does it better than Bob Stoops. I mean, Bob Stoops is in the national title picture again because of the offensive coordinator hire that he made in the off season. Um, and on top of that, getting rid of one of the play callers being Josh Heupel, a guy who he coached at Oklahoma who's a native son. I mean, that's a tough move to make. But That's how – if there's a blueprint for staying staying successful as a head coach in the Power Five, you know, a, a top 20 coach for, for 15 or more years, I think you have to go through several periods of, of aggressive reinvention and you have to embrace uh, new ideas from young coordinators or established guys that you just don't – you don't meddle with. I mean, that's the whole – conversation around Les Miles at LSU is the fact that he's, you know, he, his fingerprint is on whatever offensive system comes through there, probably for the, for the worst, not the better.
0: Yeah. To a um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, um, I think, I think it speaks volumes of Dabo to, to just go in and, and it's not blind faith because the guy has such a great track record, but, um, I think it speaks volumes of Dabo and it speaks volumes of Clemson because they go in there and they compete aggressively on the financials to bring in these, these assistants. And uh, yeah, I think it's completely changed.
0: Um, the perception of Clemson. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I, you know, we'll see how I guess Kirby smart pans out for Georgia. Um, Knowing sort of the, the listener base we have, we'd love to get your thoughts on what you think the ceiling is actually at South Carolina with Will Muschamp.
1: So yeah, I know, um, I know some guys that are involved there um, that had um, in the tree, not so much the Saban side of it, just more the Muschamp side of it. And um, Mm -hmm. I've, Oh man, I spent a lot of time for a week and a half, making a lot of phone calls, chasing the Muschamp story. And we got out there, we were one of the first guys to break it. And we were super happy. Um, but the funny thing was is when you're on the news side of things, you're just following news as it happens. You're not so much questioning. I, I, yeah, I didn't like, stand back from eat. a college right. football perspective until it was over and think, okay, they, they just hired Will must Um right. <laughs> I think it's, uh it's, It's a question I would probably be better able to answer in a month, whether or not Clemson has won a national title, because I think there's going to be that much more pressure on Muschamp. I think there's a lot already. Um, I think there are people that have begun to reject the philosophy of just copying the guys across the street in that division in the SEC East, you know, bringing in Spurrier after he was successful at Florida and now you're bringing in a guy who wasn't that successful at Florida, but Buschamp mm-hmm. interviews very well. I think he fits the culture in South Carolina very well. He, sp- he fits the state very well, and he's going to be a very aggressive recruiter against Abbo. So in the short term, you start worrying about signing classes and things like that, maybe not so much for 16, but more 17, um, because the, the tough thing that Clemson and South Carolina have fought for years is um, not only fighting each other in state, but also fighting all
0: the schools around you. Um, yeah, Clemson is essentially – Put a wall, up, put a wall put up in, in the- this – to keep the talent in state and hopefully on your side of the camp but how do you yeah. get into florida north carolina and georgia and kind of you know i mean
1: clinton is essentially the 15th sec school in that regard maybe 16th if you consider that florida state is doing a similar thing down there so um that if I'm a Clemson fan, I'm concerned about the national title right now, and and I, I wouldn't sleep on Champ and I wouldn't laugh at it. I'll put it that way. They're going yeah. to they're they're going to get aggressive about player development. They're going to do some things that that Spurrier didn't want to do because of his age and his stance on some things. And uh, Kurt Roper is a hell of an offensive coordinator. They're going to change, and they're not. I mean, if you if you're watching tape on last year's Roper Florida offense, I don't think that's what you're going to see. I think you're okay. going to see something that's a little faster and a little more okay. wide open when he went through the interview process, Muschamp was very aggressive and saying, look, I'm going to give you what I'm great at and I'm going to change everything that didn't work at Florida. And that really is just code for the offense. So Mm -hmm. Roper studied under um, Roper came up basically on the Cutcliffe tree at Duke. Um, He was the quarterback's coach for Eli Manning uh, at Ole Miss. He was a play caller now and again, different roles as, as Cutcliffe moved along and he went out on his own. Um, with the Florida gig, I think he's been an offensive assistant for, I think he's with the Browns in in a non-coaching capacity this year. And he is going to, um, kind of meld in some, some more modern tempo concepts with, um, with it'll be pro only in its look. And I think they're, they're going to run a lot of, they're going to try and run a lot of speed early on to compensate for what they don't have on the line. Um, But the the thing Muschamp I think has learned this year is that he was very curious about there was some anxiety on marrying his defense with Gus Malzahn's offense, and I know Auburn didn't have a good year, but I I don't know if that speaks positively, negatively, or if it's just sort of a incomplete set on what Muschamp brings to that because he didn't have he never had a full recruiting cycle at Auburn. Right. So he kind of came in with Dallas Johnson's personnel, and he left having been in the process of recruiting, but the, you know, not staying on for the 16 class. So they were very much not his players.
0: And it's um, tough to judge based on one year, anyway. I mean, even, yes, if, even if he was able to bring a full stock of players over, it's
1: one of the things I've told people is that one of the things I, I go back to when I get into like you know talk radio arguments <laughs> is that in college you have to give a defensive a defensive a new defensive. A new defensive you have to have a two year minimum because of the, you know, you can't come in in the NFL and um, you know, I'm a big Falcons fan. I'm originally from Georgia and you know uh, they get a new defensive minded head coach last year and they, they bring in like six or seven free agents in a draft class. So the defense changes overnight to get a lot closer to what that new coach wants to be in college. You're coming in as a defensive coordinator, probably about two or three weeks before most of the recruits are locked up. Then you have spring brawl, and then you essentially are going into a year with someone else's players before you can you can stock again, and you know maybe run some guys off, promote some guys, change some positions. And there's so, there's limits to learn what you've got in practice as well. I mean, it's not just absolutely open
0: season. So and to go back to
1: yeah, to go back to Venable's too, I think one of the things that attracted him to this job was that Dabo has always recruited very well. Um, it, it's not you know they, they didn't necessarily land top five classes every year, but they've been consistent. Um, for long enough to, for a coordinator to know that not only did they have talent at the moment when he walked in there, but they would have talent in the future. Um, and Muschamp thinks that they can he can uh, achieve that at South Carolina to some degree. He's going to pull, I think, some defensive guys away from the bigger SEC e-schools. Um, he's going to go hard after Georgia. He's going to go hard after Florida. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting – uh, yeah, he's, he's, Strat- with very very close very good friends with kirby smart so that's yeah. going to be very fascinating to watch and i think that rivalry is going to amp up more um that's not to say he won't i mean the south carolina clemson i think is about to find a new attitude because uh, i was at the only south carolina clemson game i've covered was the fear of the thumb year um <laughs> which was taj boyd's last year right um, And i was kind of following him around it They – I think they're flabbergasted as a fan base right now to look across the state and see Clemson in the national title picture as the number one seed, and they're two years removed away from a five-game sweep. Yeah. I I don't – it's – they're – I I just – I don't think they ever thought they would be in this situation.
0: And I think we – I mean, we all look at that five years. That's the aberration to us. I mean, for us, number one's a new thing. But I think – sure you look at the um you know collective series record um of this matchup you know it's kind of been somewhat one-sided especially in the last you know 15 20 years but um mm. certainly a few of those rivalry games during that streak were you know just the most frustrating possible games for us um so anyway we're we're happy with where we are now but i i just think i agree with you that you know for clemson fans laughing at this hire um i you know i, I from what I'm reading and hearing, it seems like Wilma's champ is bringing um, some humility to what went on in Florida with the offensive side. And he's, he's elated yes. to have another shot um, and you know, they're going to learn from mistakes. And I think, yes, it was Florida coming off of Urban Meyer. You would think they'd be able to recruit the offensive talent, possibly better than South Carolina, but it
1: is an argument that he did. I mean, everything that McIlwain has done so far is with someone else's players. So, I think the the failing for Will was that, that he had an offensive coordinator in Charlie Weiss that was kind of thrown upon him and that it didn't fit what Will wanted to do. I think Charlie was – I wouldn't say he's necessarily undermining Will, but I definitely think there was another head coach in the room. And it's the first right. year that you have a new head coach who's never been a head coach. <laughs> I think that's – those are all big problems that Will fought at Florida. They just – Brent Peace was a bad hire. He's a good coordinator. He just didn't fit. And then by that point, you're so far behind the curve. And keep in mind, they're having a similar experience with Florida State coming back into prominence during all of this. So it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, it's um, a lot of it's circumstantial. A lot of it was self-inflicted. It's very, very rare that you see this in any sport where you get a guy who has an opportunity at the highest level uh, for the second time especially this, uh, you know, a year removed from being fired. In the same, in the same
0: division. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I don't think – I mean, Florida will be jacked up about it for two years. It'll, it'll fade. We've had coaches switch now, you know, that nothing's ever going to top Saban going from, from LSU to Alabama. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't know if there is an analog in the
0: ACC that sticks out to me. Um, I mean, there was almost – rumors that Larry Fedora was going to replace Beamer this season. But uh, I mean, yeah, that's and that, such a smaller scale. Some,
1: There's some merit to that because I think Larry was um, Larry was really trying to assess his situation at North Carolina. He he walked into a a, something kind of akin to what Golden dealt with, where he got he got a job at a program that suddenly became a very less appealing program overnight. Yeah, you know, Larry didn't know about the extent of some of the problems that were going on at North Carolina. I think that frustrated him. But one thing for Clemson, to look at now. This is kind of weird to talk about on the eve of a playoff because that obviously is everyone's sole focus, especially with the way, you know, Clemson being in sort of uncharted territory, but the ACC is about to get a hell of a lot better across well, the Well, I was going to ask you, I mean,
0: yeah. do you think with these hires, you know, to what degree we close the gap or could we, for you, know, you being more of a national guy, change your mind or change my hearts and minds about the quality of the ACC product?
1: Well, I mean, dumb SEC logic
0: is yeah, I mean
1: dumb dumb SEC fans aren't going anywhere. So you right. you're not going to get anyone to admit anything for a long long time. That's just going to I mean yeah, that's true. That narrative held through last year when and I was standing in the Superdome standing next to Jim Delaney, mm-hmm. the tape recorder, watching Alabama just run through them and or I'm sorry, watching Ohio State run through Alabama and right. you know, at the, the a day later a lot of the national media throw it just you know it wasn't it wasn't the best Alabama product that it could have been and not really paying Ohio State the proper credit until they beat Oregon. So, is there an SEC bias? Absolutely. Sure. Um, it, I, but I think it's more it it was an earned bias for a while. So if you're a Clemson fan, I'll say that I always say this casually. I have friends that um in my neighborhood here in in Nashville that um I have one good friend of mine he went to Clemson and he married. Uh, he, our wives are friends. Our wives both went to Ole Miss like I did. And um, yep. we talk about it all the time. I think the cultural fit for Clemson is, is a no-brainer. And I think maybe some SEC fans will give Clemson a benefit of the doubt and, and Florida State more so than they will any other outside program, including the Texas schools that aren't in the SEC. So um, all that being said, you should, you, it doesn't matter because Clemson plays, you know, Boston College and Virginia and those schools. Um, yep. Dino Babers was a really inspired hire at Syracuse. They have a long road to go. Um, I think maybe the biggest move was, was that North Carolina retains fedora. They beef up the staff and they show a commitment. Uh, Cutcliffe is always going to have Duke consistent and he's slowly sort of figuring out this riddle of, of, of creating a, like a, a good power football program with really tough standards. Um, I am a little curious about Brocko Hall at B, at, uh, going from BYU to Virginia. So maybe put an asterisk next to that, but I think that, um, you have two great hires in Fuente to Virginia Tech and Rick to Miami. I think they they address the each of those hires addresses some of the problems and returns instantly returns those programs back and back sort of towards the the, the national conversation um Fuente I spent some time with this year at Memphis um and he's the real deal. he fits the Virginia Tech culture perfectly to me yeah retaining um, button
0: Foster there it's it's
1: yeah like you, a little. It, Little diplomatic move there. I think it was, I think for the short term, that's that's a really good idea, honestly. Um, yeah. But all what this means for Clemson, what this means for Florida State, the two teams that have just been the bell cow for so long, is that um, it, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to go undefeated in the future. But it, I really think it needs to be. I think that those teams, yeah. For and I don't want to infuriate anybody by saying this, but on a national level. Clemson looked good early when they needed to and they got the focus of the nation three times this year as the number one team in America to go wire to wire in the playoff rankings is the number one. They really held the, the nation's attention only three times. And one of those was during the conference title weekend. So that says, that says nothing to me about Clemson whatsoever because you can only schedule who's on your, you know, who's in your conference for, for nine of those games or eight of those games. Um, it's it really comes down to the quality of your opponent, and uh, it's very similar to what you would see in the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten has a. It's funny how the Big Ten doesn't get the label that the ACC does, but you know Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State have have experienced a pretty aggressive drop off. Iowa was a bit of a, a you know an outlier because they were not playing those big teams in the other division. But I think for AC, sure. for the ACC for Clemson in the future to have the one extra game. So, you know, you have the three benchmark games being North Carolina, Florida State, and Notre Dame, right? Notre right. Dame being its own weird agreement with the conference. Let's just say, hypothetically, that you, instead of, and uh, let me vamp a little bit and pull your schedule up real fast, if, yes. if you were to take those three games and then add on one more of merit where the national media gets to come in, I think it benefits everybody involved. I think, yeah, let's uh, say
0: this year it was Rick at Miami, not Al Golden in his final game. Absolutely.
1: I mean, let's say it's a better Georgia Tech team. Let's say it's, um, you know, the Miami one is probably the best example. So, well, so also, what is winning 58? Yeah. What, what did 58 to nothing do for Clemson?
0: I don't know. I mean, it. That was the one that pushed us into the top three effectively, but ultimately, I mean, they fired out Golden. That was as much about Miami's failures as it was us being a dominant team, at least nationally. And I think if you go down to Coral Gables against Mark Rick,
1: maybe in two years in the exact same scenario, and you're undefeated, and you beat a good Miami team that's maybe even ranked 20th, even 20th or 18th in the nation, and you beat them by 17 points instead of 58, I think that's better, and I think more people – because right now, let's be honest – in terms of the playoff, everybody's talking about Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. The dumb money is is not necessarily on Alabama being unbeatable because they're not. The dumb money is on Clemson not uh, being proven enough, whatever the hell that means. So sure. um, I think that's where you, when you start talking about the ACC, you start fortifying the case for programs like Clemson and Florida State. And then eventually there was supposed to be that second tier. You know, there was always supposed to be, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech. And then you were supposed to have improvement in the, in the Carolinas. And it just, you know, Duke is going to be great. And, and I came up as a sports writer under David Cutcliffe, so I always have a fondness for the guy. But there, Duke is not going to be that, that program that should carry the Carolinas. It was kind of supposed to be UNC. So if that's mm-hmm. back now, then, then I think you start, you're you able to hold a conversation with any other conference in the country,
0: except stupid mm-hmm. SEC fans. And you've got Petrino, which, I mean, he's on his second run at Louisville. We'll see how that that comes out. It's sort of, we've been waiting for the Coastal to hold up its end of the bargain the last kind of three to four years. Um, We've seen Beamer Ball fade a little bit. Um, Really since, I mean, they they won the ACC most years since joining um, at the start. And since then, it's sort of faded a bit. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're happy to see the conference get more competitive. Um, I agree with you. It's going to be less of a cakewalk to get to thirteen and zero, you know, if next Wake Forest is going to be the
1: next Vanderbilt or whatever, you know, Van, right. like the old Vanderbilt of the nineties, like if that's going to happen, that's fine. But you need NC State to be where they are. I think, and I think, it, I think the ceiling may be a little bit higher for the Wolfpack. Um, they they didn't look great at times this year, but I think they're slowly headed in the right direction. Momentum can momentum just a little bit either way can kill you at those schools that don't have as much tradition and don't have as right. much money. Because apathy is such a harder thing to fight at NC State. Um, but oh, by the way, uh, I know it wasn't a higher this year, but Narduzzi and Pitt, I really like that. I really like where yeah. they're going. I think it was a bold move to take a defensive head coach because that doesn't happen a whole lot.
0: Yeah, and they, they had a great season, I thought. Um, records not exactly right there, but they played, you know, I, I think they played tough out of conference um, in those matchups. I believe they played yeah. Iowa. Um, they did. Really, they honest. did. And they so, were. Man, they were Iowa's win for a
1: while. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. when I would, when people would would fight about uh, you know, fight us about um, why we had Iowa low or you know, my podcast co-host Bill Connolly, doing all the, oh yeah, all the advanced deep, metrics, down, like
0: right, yeah, you know, I would, uh,
1: <laughs> it would be, it would be very interesting to when you started parsing through Iowa's schedule, but, um, yeah. so yeah, I think it's, um, I think all this is great for Clemson as long as, hey, it's always great as long as you stay a step ahead. But I'll right. tell you this. I would expect Clemson to drop one or two extra games the next three years because of the hires that have been made. And that's okay because that's right. That's I the same. T- remember, that's the same dumb thing that dumb SEC fans will brag to you about.
0: Of course. I think what we want is a world where losing one game in the ACC does not kill your season and kill your hopes. Um, we've faced that with Florida State. I mean, that basically is a de facto Atlantic title uh, game. I think this year,
1: year would have, I think you might, you may have gotten in if you would have lost a game other than Florida State. I think once you beat Notre Dame, I think Clemson. Um, but then again, maybe not. Now, the, 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 that's it. it's, it's really interesting you brought that up because when we fight with the committee guys on trying to get them to elaborate on certain things, yeah, they will not – like right now, the party line is that losses don't hurt, it's about who you beat, right? That's what we hear. Yeah. Do you mean to tell me that an undefeated Clemson going in, like if you think about this from a basketball standpoint, like what is the Wake Forest RPI, right? Because they're yeah. beyond bad. You right. know, South Carolina has a historically bad year. Syracuse, very bad. If, if they if they were to drop one of those games, not only is it November where people are paying attention, but these are really bad programs. Well, I, I, I tend to disagree with the committee in saying that the loss doesn't hurt Clemson because I think the perception is impossible to
0: overcome. Right, and – did that win, did beating Syracuse or Wake Forest help us in any way? Like, were they giving us credit for that win? No, they weren't. Survive you know, so.
1: in advance is is my exactly.
0: assumption. Yep. That's how we've been looking at it. And again, I mean, it worked out for us this year. We had a couple of, I don't want to call them close calls, but um, and we'll get into talking about the Orange Bowl matchup here. We haven't really played with a deficit most of the year, or really for more than about a, a quarter in aggregate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if, if we had dropped any of those games, it would have been tough to see us get in there. Now, granted, with yeah. our would our wins against Notre Dame, Florida State, and eventually North Carolina, we still would have been right up there as a one-loss team with a pretty solid, you know, case to make. But I, we're definitely not number one at that point.
1: Yeah, so no, I think the Oklahoma matchup is not the one that a lot of us wanted, objectively, um, because maybe not so much of last, year, last year's bowl, but I think that uh, – I personally was super interested to see what Michigan state's defense would have done. And um, I think uh, Venables would have dialed up some pretty evil stuff against what we think is a hobbled Connor cook. So yeah. um, also I'm, I'm a strange, I've got a strange vantage point on Oklahoma this year because I did two OU games and it was the Tennessee game, which they had lost dead to rights. And then I did red river where they did lose dead to rights and they were, they looked absolutely terrible. So
0: um, yeah, I mean, the, real quick, I, I know a number of Clemson fans when they announced our matchup that looked like, oh, great, like we already beat these guys. like What's up? I, my message there is, look, it's the same laundry, but these teams are incredibly different, both uh, personnel-wise, obviously. We, we turned over our, almost our entire defense and we got Deshaun Watson going. Lincoln Riley comes in, revamps that offensive system there, and I, I think it's a completely different team. You've also got to question uh, motivation going into the Russell Athletic Bowl. Um, we don't want to use that as a cop out necessarily. I thought it was a very impressive Clemson win. It was an awesome yeah. game for us, but you know, I well, it's why a,
1: Lincoln Riley there, to be honest with
0: you. Right, we we ended the Hypol era, I believe. So we've kind of been on sort of a coach elimination tour. Um, we were Al Golden's last opponent. Um, people would claim Spurrier was afraid of us. That's kind of the Clemson homer take. But um, anyway, yeah, it's it's interesting. So no, but you know, OU, it's hard to hard to um criticize anything they've been doing down the stretch this season. I think they've won 7 straight since Texas um since that game, but I guess so it seems like you have you watched maybe two of their their less less great performances the Probably their
1: yeah, probably their two worst.
0: So right. Um I,
1: what they've improved upon down the stretch um should not be taken away at all, but I do like Clemson a lot in this matchup because um the value of some of the bigger names in the in the big 12 lessened i think their most impressive win to me was at baylor um tcu was banged up oklahoma state is um it's just uh, this is just not a podcast about oklahoma state but um uh, sometimes confusing sometimes feels like an imposter um based off of the schedule they had so to look at all of this um yeah. yeah absolutely so um I think the, the the adjustments they made that have really come to define them down the stretch were offensively. Um, I mean, Riley just won the Broyles Award, so what, you know what can you say? Um, yep, I would over say, Venables,
0: uh, I might add.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it that's going to be an awesome chess match.
0: Yeah, and you add the factor of you know Venables former employer too. Now, not granted I, he played them last year. You know that you, you might have taken the shine off that one a little bit narrative wise, do. But
1: I do think the advantage here for Clemson, though, is on the other side of the ball. I mean, yeah, I think Oklahoma's going to score points. I think Clemson is going to force turnovers. I think there is a certain physicality that Oklahoma hasn't seen in a couple weeks in terms of defense, uh, defensive fronts. But I like what Watson can do against a defense like this. And keep in mind, I mean, not to play to the stereotype, but they're going to give you some space to score some points because they feel like they can outpace you um that they, they Oklahoma is very much a big 12 team as the conference title as a conference champion they're they're not an outlier they're not a, they're not an objection to the rule um or but,
0: exception to the rule I'd sorry. probably say I'd probably say Baylor's your prototypical big 12 team at this point but yeah. um use definitely they put on the offensive hat at least this season and they also brought, I think like, I mean I think Oklahoma got a lot difference. more Baylor this year right exactly
1: um and you look down the stretch too um they had a dominant win against a bad K-State team that, that doesn't have any skill position players of note, but you start looking at it and, you know, 34 points given up to Baylor. I do think that Clemson's as good as Baylor on offense, has the potential and the ability to. They, they give up 29 points to TCU. They give up 23 points to Oklahoma State. I think, you know, Clemson's good for that. I think Clemson's Clemson's good to, to it, it be considered comparable in all those scenarios. So... You start looking at just just point scored, and this is a very rudimentary way of looking at it. It's it's not a deep dive, you know, advanced stats comparison by any stretch. But um, the ability for Clemson to, I think, move the ball um, with variety and balance is going to be. Um, there, I would assume that you come out and pass early a little bit, but then if you start running in between them like Texas did, I think it. it I mean, I like Clemson a lot right now, but I haven't I haven't dived all the way into it yet.
0: I think for us what will absolutely on the defensive side these three and a half plus weeks off. We're definitely going to help a lot of our guys recover. We don't have the depth that we did a year ago, Um, but that said, you know, our guy, you saw it down the stretch. We, we let teams back into games. Um, We let teams like Syracuse hang around. Um, I don't want to say wake was super close, but it was by no means, you know, the blowout we were expecting. So um, that rest is going to help us, you know, keep up with the pace of Oklahoma um, but I think, yeah, for for us a key player is gonna be Wayne Gallman, you know, our lead lead tailback. Um what we can get done there. We know Deshaun Watson's gonna be able to move around and run, but we need to get at least into third and shorts to try to keep drives moving and keep Baker Mayfield on the sideline.
1: I think Mayfield hasn't been forced to make a lot of tough decisions under pressure. Um, and that's something that I think that Clemson's pass rush pass rush is capable of doing.
0: Yeah, one thing I mean we we we're, we're super you know pleased with where the defense netted out this year I think by most measures we're in the top 10 but fifth in the country in sacks I I can't really remember too many games where we seem to just pile up sacks but I think it was just a steady methodical every week thing you know this is after
1: you put this is you put big Beasley in the NFL last year you put um uh Grady Jarrett in the NFL last year um I mean you put I think there's two or three other I mean it's that kind of turnover is where people nationally stop talking about dumb things like Clemsoning and start realizing like, wow, this, when when you're, when you're as not as good, but whatever,
0: uh, when you you find a way to
1: fight the drop off.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty impressive. People start to take notice of that. Yeah. We started this podcast back in April. We were kind of talking about where's Clemson as a program. Are we, are we really top 10 overall? And I was, you know, I grew up in Ohio. I'm a, was raised a Buckeye fan I think what urban Meyer had last year was when you see guys either move on graduate or get go down with injury we talk about next man up when they actually bring in equal caliber talent next that's when you know you've got you know the program that's up there in the elites and I think Clemson's starting to get there um, this year's depth was a little bit thin we've got what looks like to be a pretty good recruiting class coming in especially on the D line for, for 2016 so you know that I think we're, we're moving in the right direction and you know Hats off again to the defensive coaching staff, um, developing these guys in a short time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean this is um if I if I could leave you guys with anything, it would be to savor every bit of this, man. This is the <laughs> this is the playoff hasn't happened yet. I know you're anxious and I know everybody's sitting here obsessing over potential matchups, especially if you get past Oklahoma. I get all that. But yeah. Uh, everything is roses right now and this and you know there there's no greater feeling than anticipation when it comes to sports um there's really no sign of any slowdown I mean just because the quality of competition may rise in the ACC doesn't mean that that's going to knock Clemson dramatically off course so my my message is to everyone and everyone in the Clemson fan base is just man lap this up right now
0: Absolutely. I mean, these are the, we, we won the games this year that always under Tommy Bowden, we would end up losing or finding a way to lose. You know, it's, it is about, you know, enjoying this and we've got, you know, high hopes for recruiting classes coming in and maintaining this, but the, the competition around us is improving. Um, you know, we've, we've still got a lot to do this season yet. Let's hope. Um, but yeah, let's it's, it's better than it's been in a really long time. So I agree with you. Any, I guess, let's talk about the Cotton Bowl quickly. Um, you know, I I think the way certainly Las Vegas is looking at it has Alabama with a comfortable win here. Um, barring Mark D'Antonio completely reinventing their offense, you know, how do you see, and going to more of a spread and um, spacing style, how do you see Michigan State hanging in this game or, or possibly pulling out a win? Is there any scenario? Uh- you, you have to win turnovers early, and then you have to start
1: um, – you have to start moving the ball incrementally in space and trying to get away from – neutralize some of their physicality. And Michigan State's offense is not really built to do that. So that's why it's, it becomes really hard to pick the, the Spartans. Um, I just saw them play. You know, I was just at the Big Ten title. But um, I just think – Does that drive
0: so, over yet, by the way? Is that last drive? Did that end
1: <laughs> Well, it's so funny, too, because all we're talking about now is that drive. That game was terrible until that drive. I mean, yeah. I've never seen we the, watched the game of the game.
0: game. Yeah. We watched the game out here at a local bar. They basically let us, the Clemson alumni group, watch that one. We had the Iowa game next to it and the Stanford game on the other TV. And um, we didn't watch too much of the Iowa game, let's put it that way. Yeah. It was didn't it was um,
1: awful until it was great. I mean, and it was great in the last drive of the game. So, Mhm. Yeah, it was definitely a game where you're sitting in the press box. You uh, you end up returning some emails, maybe shaking some hands, go get a cup of coffee. Um, no, I and just I mean, I, I, yeah, I, everything points to a Clemson Alabama matchup right now to me. But everything yeah. pointed to a everything pointed to a Florida State Alabama matchup last year.
0: Right. Yeah, we just don't know, and um, I I certainly don't think we're taking Oklahoma lightly. I mean, that's a team where if you give them again, Clemson hasn't played with a deficit much all season. Um, right. it, should we go down 10 points to two scores? like we've got a first-year offensive coaching staff? Um, are they able to dial up the right adjustments to to break through? I'm hoping you know that that we're not in that situation But uh, you know definitely I'm not penciling us in over Columbia yet by any means uh, but I think yeah. Alabama is the team that all Clemson fans want to want to face off against you can yes. beat them. You do shut up the SEC haters for a little bit, at Absolutely. least. Yeah. Um, and you know you've got kind of the Dabo element. We're always afraid if Saban moves on, you know they'll come calling for Dabo. So if he just beats them, we'll see how much appetite there is for that. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of the how we we see it playing out as well. Um, and then you know all bets are off for that final game. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: it's but, it's definitely going to be interesting. It's um. It's it looks a little chalky at the moment, but that, um, that, has, that didn't hold last year. And, and, you know, I think last year it's hard to take a, a big consensus out of one year of information, but um, I, I think it's fun to go back now and look at the BCS and see what kind of matchups could have happened with just, just the two extra teams and the way it came out last year. So in no way should Clemson
0: feel comfortable, but they should feel good. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, are you, where did you land on the chaos spectrum coming into the last couple of weeks? I know Spencer Hall, your colleague, he's, he's Mr. Chaos, but were you kind of secretly rooting for a shakeup here? or Do you think this is the best, best result we could have seen as, as football fans?
1: No, I, I thought I thought even the chaos scenarios were most of them were too far fetched to, to to really put any stock into at the last going in the last week, um, um, and, and and I don't think the nation is particularly disinterested or or upset with Clemson. So, a North Carolina winning to me wouldn't have done much. Um, mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, to me, the Michigan State. Iowa game felt like a different kind of chaos. And so, I mean, it was a playing it was a playing game. And then, you know, the, I think the big 12, not having a title game prevented and having just somebody kind of like sitting there locked in with one of
0: the spots. It, it didn't really help. Um, right. And then Bama just wasn't going to lose to Florida. It just wasn't going to happen. Do you feel like, I know you're at awards week uh, last week, probably hearing from a number of like athletic directors and um, the powers that be that orchestrated the playoff coming together. Um, Maybe what was the sentiment among them about first of all a four team playoff and kind of the, the longevity of this configuration? Um, do you do you see an eight team expansion as kind of inevitable? I know a lot of people are calling that, you know, from from the fan community, but um, maybe I don't think first it's one.
1: inevitable. I really don't. Not yet. Um, I, I I don't think that if you if you go to eight this year, you take any sense of drama out of the whole last two weeks. It yeah. really becomes. You know, a, a very predictable process down the stretch, which is the one thing that they claim they were guarding against. So,
0: um, preserve the sanctity of the regular season, right?
1: That one jumps out at me. The yeah. trying to think
0: if you if you go
1: through last year, it's basically the same thing. Like it, it's so far the argument is not good for the whole well you know the, the arguments four or five are we would we would argue over four or five and now we'd argue over eight or nine I, I don't i don't think so i think you start you start establishing a very clear divide i think eight mm-hmm. teams is great for for um a better national representation and it's very it, it, it to me it's a tremendous help for the the group of five rep to maybe make that that cut
0: but um yeah i like I it for the the happening american. in the next five years i like it for the american but i'm also concerned that basically makes it a Notre Dame automatic qualifier too. I mean, how many years, you know, are they are they outside of the top nine or ten, and just on on reputation, would they would they sneak in there? So, yeah. Um, you talked about the Big Twelve. Do you foresee them expanding to twelve teams to qualify for a championship game, or does Oklahoma sort of in the way they back into their schedule, do you see them kind of continuing forth um, with ten?
1: They have not, I mean, they have not shown any particular burning desire yet. I think had,
0: had they been shut out two years
1: in a row from the playoff, they would have, they would have addressed it in the immediate future. But as for now, I really don't think they are. Um, I, I don't think that they have. The big thing is that the candidacy is not great. There's not a school that jumps out at you. They don't want to deal with some of the problems or some of the conflicts that BYU brings and, after that, it becomes really hard. I mean, Clemson, or Clemson, I'm sorry, Houston has made tremendous strides under Tom Herman and that financially they're, they're, they're playing like they're in a power five school in terms of facilities and salaries and things like that. But I don't know how much longer that, that can last. If Herman were to leave, um, I don't know if, you, if that is a sustainable program. So we'll see. Yep. I, I, don't, I don't see either one of those things happening in the near future, though. I think we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get to hold on to those arguments for at least a couple more years.
0: Yeah, they'll be good fodder for filling these weeks um, between between games. So um, maybe with that or a parting thought, um, any what are the three bowl games playoff notwithstanding that you're most excited to look at from a matchup standpoint?
1: Who? Um, it could be any of them. <laughs> um, like I could pick up like the lower tier ones is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, or d- even. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe I mean, obviously, New Year's Six. We're gonna we're gonna be watching that um, Peach Bowl game pretty closely as ACC fans. But any any three really. Okay,
1: um, let me think here as I pull the schedule up. Hmm, it's sort of the antithesis of sexy, but I like. Um, I'll be at the Rose Bowl covering that. So Iowa and Stanford. Um, i like just the the kind of uniqueness of the of the actual football product there um so let me count that as one Um, it's also
0: i went back when it was oregon wisconsin tremendous game day environment it's probably yeah absolutely it's i've been to other bowl games and they you know nowhere near um the excitement or just the fun of the tailgating and stuff so i want to do a a bucket list thing
1: yeah, I wanted to include the peach, but um, just because I think Houston's a great and unique story, and I just don't know, like, talent on talent, I think eventually Florida State is going to really wear them down. Um, when you get into the lower tier, the matchups aren't as, aren't as fun this year. Um, and North Carolina Baylor will be interesting to watch. There'll be a lot of points, and so that's definitely something I think people will tune into. That That's one that has probably kind of quietly gone under the radar. Um, Oh, you know, it's funny, like Bill Connolly and I, on our podcast, we were talking today about how BYU and Utah doesn't even have the same kind of appeal, even though it's a great rivalry, because those two teams are so banged up right now. Um, yeah. Uh, I like Western Kentucky and you, if you're doing nothing next Monday, check out Western Kentucky and USF. That'll be a fun dynamic game. Um, and then really it's, it's a big Valley until you get to closer to new year's Eve. Um, lsu and texas tech will be fun to watch again that, you know these games that don't mean anything at all with interim coaches and you know your like pre-december 30th really just kind of your lower tier opening acts just fun dynamic matchups different styles that's all i'm really looking for in those um yeah so i would definitely jump it um you know it's fun. I just feel like it's a bad year. Texas a and Louisville should be better than it's probably going to be. USC mm-hmm. and Wisconsin should be better than it's going to be. Um, so I would go – uh, let's, let's go with the Rose. Let's go with LSU and Texas Tech and uh, North Carolina and Baylor.
0: All good ones for sure. I'm also looking forward to that TCU-Oregon matchup uh, as well. I think that's going to be interesting styles. Yeah, juxtapose. I didn't include
1: that one because I feel like that's everyone's pick. But, yes, that right. is – definitely going to be watching that. It's going to be good. Yes.
0: Cool. Well, um, thanks again for for the time. And just a reminder, everybody, make sure you give Stephen a follow on Twitter. He's at thirty eight Godfrey. Uh, subscribe to podcast St. Play and Buddy. Sounds like you guys have an, another episode going up here today or tomorrow. Yeah,
1: every Tuesday. Yes, every right. Tuesday. That's right.
0: And um, Bill Connolly, all the stuff he does is amazing as well. <clears throat> he his stats were rec- rec- recognized Clemson early on at what we were getting done. Um, so. You know, I think S&P Plus um, certainly following that, following his posts, um, kind of improved my knowledge of the advanced stats game. So um, good stuff there. And um, Stephen, thanks again. Appreciate the chat. Maybe we can catch up um, at some point soon.
1: All right, man. Thanks for having me.
0: You got it. Take care.